What was that? What was that? Seriously, what was that? A home loss? The, the second consecutive home loss in a row to Northwestern. A third straight loss to Northwestern. What was that? I'll, I'll tell you what it was. It was atrocious. It was a downer. It was garbage. It was junky. It was sad. It was poor, lousy, dreadful. It just, it sucked. It was a terrible Saturday. Welcome to Locked on Spartans for your Monday, your sad, dreary Monday morning here, October 7th. I am your host, Will Hunter. Uh, just just down. Basically, my plan for the show today was I was just going to spend the entire half hour with a thesaurus in front of me reading synonyms for the word bad. And I think there's enough of them that I could probably do that and do it successfully. But I think we want to talk a little bit about the actual game that happened on Saturday. Just what a disappointing day of football. It was I mean, we're going to get into this a lot, and we're going to be talking a lot about the offense today and throughout the week, but all the issues that we have seen with Michigan State football, things that they've been able to overcome at times against uh, inferior opponents, things that cost them against Arizona State, uh, they reared their ugly head in Spartan Stadium on Saturday, uh, and it was just the result of which was just an an embarrassing loss to a team that you should beat nine times out of ten, probably ten times out of ten, given the the talent levels on each team. And and now we're at a crossroads with this season. We're at a crossroads. Does this turn into 2012 or 2016? Or, uh, or can Michigan State rebound and still win nine games? Um, me personally, I think uh, we're more likely headed down the 2012 path, but uh, there's still, I guess, a little tiny bit of optimism left in me, given that the uh, def- the defense is good and there's talent and there's been a ton of injuries and people are going to start coming back. But uh, I'm 99% of me is not feeling great right now. So what we're going to do today, we're going to start, we're going to talk about the offense, uh, and I've got some things I just want to say and point out. Uh, and then later, Stephen Brooks from 24-7 or, or 247, or, I don't no, honestly, I've been in working in media for a while. I don't know if it's 247 or 247. I think it's 247. It's one of the greatest mysteries in sports. I'm going to ask Steven. That'll be my first question. Uh, so we'll all find that out together in a little bit. But he's going to join us and we're going to talk uh, a, a, a ton about the offense, I'm sure. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of what went wrong in the secondary with Northwestern hitting some deep passes for, for touchdowns uh, and just his thoughts moving forward with the season as Michigan State has to quickly turn the page and get ready for Penn State. So a lot of people, everyone who is a Michigan State fan, I would say, is very frustrated with the offense right now. And a lot of that uh, outrage has fallen on the feet of Dave Warner. Some's fallen towards Brian Lewerke. Some has fallen towards Mark Staten and the offensive line. And some has fallen towards D'Antonio. And it's just... Uh, I'm at the point now where like this offense has been the exact same for years, right? It, it, it's not a, a creative scheme. And what we've seen is just they slowly add in plays that 
you know, they generally take from other teams that are successful against them and solely incorporate it into their scheme. Uh, but Michigan State's been very successful for the last seven or eight years, for the most part, but they've won very few games because of their offense. Like, they win in spite of their offense. Uh, this offense, it, it doesn't make sense. They don't scheme players open, right? And they rely primarily on winning individual matchups, right? It's a power run game. It's a, a passing game that uses uh, what is generically referred to as pro concepts where guys are matched up and have to beat their guy one-on-one, win a matchup, and make a play in space on a ball. And that is harder to do than what you see uh, in the Big Ten or something like what Oregon used to run over the years. It really still does run a lot of these spread up-tempo offenses, they rely on scheme, guys run wide open, uh, and things are simplified for players at each position, especially quarterback and receiver. And you see that sometimes uh, it it pops up during the NFL draft, right? A quarterback from the Big 12 with big numbers, how good is he really? He's throwing to wide open receivers. A receiver from the Big 12, how good is he really? You know, he doesn't beat defensive backs one-on-one. He's schemed into open space where he makes catches and makes plays. And that is something that what Michigan State does, it, it's harder to be more successful in terms of uh, an efficiency basis. And the two spots, the two spots where I think it's the hardest is for the quarterbacks and receivers. And this scheme, we've seen it work, right? We've seen some success. We've seen it work. But when we have bona fide pros at quarterback and uh, at least one, sometimes two at receiver is when this, when this offense works. Otherwise, 2012 happens, 2016 happens, where, and even last year at times, where the, the offense can't get out of the defense's way, uh, and whenever the defense tries to make plays to win a game, the offense is right there to make sure that it's even harder. And that is, that style, that decision to be that type of conservative, we'll call it whatever, ground and pound, three yards in a cloud of dust type offense, rests solely at the feet of Mark D'Antonio. It is his decision to run that sort of sort of operation. So Dave Warner's been on the staff for eight years now. Uh, who knows, really, if he had free reign. Like uh, There were some, some quotes from D'Antonio in the week that during the game, the coordinators handled play calling and things like that. But he is involved in terms of, you know, the general blueprint of what the offensive identity wants to be. Uh, the preparation during the week, he plays a big role in, and then the game plan is set, and it's up to the the offensive coordinator to execute execute it through play calling. And until D'Antonio, and we've seen him make changes before, right? Twenty twelve and twenty sixteen, the two kind of lost seasons uh, in his last decade are, are examples where it takes uh, a losing to a significant degree, where it's very painfully obvious that offensively they're so limited that it was really hampering them and that is what is used to bring about change and I'm <laughs> I, I wish it didn't take that uh, I, I wish you know Mark D'Antonio is a really smart guy he can look around the world of college athletics and see what is working all he has to do is look to Columbus uh, if he doesn't want to go too far and just see what that type of scheme can do uh, when it has great talent and it's not even so much that like, so you hear just how important it is to establish the run and have a good running game. And 
to a certain point, I agree with that. It is important to run the football, and I'm not someone who wants them to spread it out five wide and just chuck it around the yard. I wish they were a great run team. I just wish they made it easier on themselves to become a great run team, right? I don't buy running the ball to establish the run, like for the sake of establishing the run, running the ball just to say you ran the ball, like seeking out an equal 50-50 share on plays, pass and run plays for the sake of balance has been proven many times mathematically to be uh, you're, you're battling uphill, right? You're making it harder on yourself than you need to. Uh, this team doesn't, so what this offense does a lot, it condenses defenses towards the center of the field, towards the center of the formation, and then it works to move through them instead of working around them. And so it doesn't use the, the width of the field horizontally, in which you see a lot of spread teams do. They spread defenses out, and then it creates natural running lanes. It makes angles easier on offensive linemen to get to their blocks. And it just creates an overall more efficient, more high-potent offense. And all of this is to, is to kind of say, like, just to sort of bring it full circle here real quick, I don't know how much we can blame Dave Warner uh, and play calling. It is one aspect of many that has led to, and it's not, this is a trend that was before Dave Warner. Uh, this was, who could forget the Dan Rauscher years, those glorious years. Um, this is a problem with the design of the entire outfit. The idea of being a ball control, running only between the tackles, throwing primarily on third down offense. It's, it's a, Michigan State has for years been a very predictable offense. They run too much on first down. They don't run effectively enough on first down. And they get themselves into too many third and longs. And when you have Connor Cook and Tony Lippett and Aaron Burbridge and Kirk Cousins and B.J. Cunningham and, and Keyshawn Martin, uh, you can work your way out of that and you can be good enough to win games, especially when you have what is uh, considered generally year-to-year an elite defense, sometimes the best defense in the country, and you generally have good punting. Like That's what Michigan State has won with, elite defense and good punting. And... It's just, it's just frustrating to see the the lack of creativity, the the stubbornness to old concepts that uh, are becoming more and more outdated each day, uh, and we've seen it play out in the field. Like this has been here. I'll go through some S and P plus numbers, right? So after the game, I was uh, in my in my anger. I decided to do a little bit of research. And so this is Michigan State's S&P Plus rating for offense and defense since 2011. And generally, uh, S&P Plus is uh, the measurement I trust probably more than any to determine just how good your offense is. It compares uh, your offensive output on a number of different levels to uh, what is considered to be like a league average or college football average standard. And so you know how your team stacks up compared to like a replacement level college football team. And so if you want to learn more about that, go to footballoutsiders.com and it's all right there. But here, offensively, it'll be offense then defense. That's how I'll read this. So in 2011, offense was 41st in the country. Defense was number eight. In 2012, their offense was 89th. Their defense was second. 2013, that great year, their offense was 73rd. 
and their defense was second. 2014 is the only time we see a reversal here. They were 10th in offense and 26th in defense. And that team, on their starting 11 offense, eight of them are pros. Eight players played in the NFL are still in the NFL, uh, at least played one season in the NFL. And if you extend that a little bit further, Aaron Burbridge was also on that team. So nine of the, whatever, starting 11 plus one uh, were NFL players. So three on the line and every skill position player played in the NFL. The next year, 2015, 31st in offense, 13th in defense. 2016, the 3-9 season, they're 66th in offense and 41st in defense. Uh, last year, 92nd in offense, 4th in defense. And this year, before the Northwestern game, that is yet to be added in. Uh, 47th in offense and 17th in defense. I would imagine the defense may drop a little bit, uh, and then the offense is going to drop as well. So this has been a program, although we've seen a ton of success, it has been absolutely buoyed by elite defense uh, and good special teams. If you want to take the program to a higher level, then you need to be better than consistently in the 40s and 50s uh, in offense. Like, yeah, it's slightly above average, but that's not going to get it done. And you're leaving yourself susceptible to a number of one games, you know, one score games where that's what happened in 2012, right? Elite defense, bad offense. They're in a ton of one score games and had bad luck. And you leave yourself open to that sort of bad luck when you're that incompetent on offense. And given the talent that they have on that side of the ball, uh, given the skill position talent, uh, generally the, the competence of the offensive line. And this year it's been an absolute mash unit. And some of that, it's just bad luck. Uh, but with all of that taken into account, it's you just hope that this starts to lead to a different way of thinking. If you want if Michigan State football wants to take another step and be a nationally competitive thing and more than a regional program that once every you know once or twice every 10 years is nationally competitive finishing in the top five, uh, competing for the college football playoff and, and trying to win a national championship, then something needs to change on on the offensive side of the ball. And it needs to start at the top, and it needs to be just a, a – I'm not calling for jobs or anything like that, but it just needs to be a, re a shift in focus, a shift in thinking how they approach football from the, the offensive side of the ball. All right, long segment one. Uh, we needed it after a, just a, a brutal, brutal weekend, so – the next couple of segments here, we're going to have Stephen Brooks on. We're going to get more into this game, some specifics of this game, and then uh, he'll talk a little bit about uh, Mark D'Antonio's uh, teleconference that he held Sunday evening. And we'll just, yeah, we're going to talk a lot about what went wrong offensively and just sort of his ideas on uh, the stuff that I was just talking about there. All right, guys, I've been telling you about Vivid Seats, and I'm going to keep doing it. And you need to get to Vivid Seats now if you want to get to a Michigan State game, any sort of game, maybe a different game, maybe not a Michigan State game, maybe wait for Rutgers to get into town and get a, and get a for sure win. Uh, but any sort of, you know, sporting event, concert, theater, comedy tickets, any live event, you need to go to Vivid Seats to get your tickets. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to. And right now, to make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners to this podcast an exclusive promo code. Yes, exclusive for you. 
for new customers that you can receive $20 off orders of $200 or more. All you need to do, it's easy. Go to the App Store, Google Play, download the Vivid Seats app, use promo code LOCKEDON, and get $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater tickets and more, Vivid Seats has it all. So download the app, enter that promo code LOCKEDON, get your $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats, make a memory that lasts a lifetime, and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. And guys, NBA season's back, and you know what that means. Locked on NBA. That's where you need to go for your daily national NBA podcast. They're covering it all, you know, the big stories. LeBron James is in L.A. now, and everyone's going crazy. Kawhi's in Toronto. What's going to happen? Who's going to win the East? It's it's all going on at Locked On NBA. you got to get over there and check it out. Just search Locked On NBA wherever you listen to podcasts and find it there. Subscribe and listen to it. And you can even tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On NBA, and it'll play it right for you. It's easy. It's free. Check it out. All right, I'm joined now by Stephen Brooks from 247.com, Spartan Beat Reporter. Uh, Stephen, is it 247 or 24-7? It is 24-7, and I, I didn't actually even know that for sure myself uh, until I started working here. I wasn't positive, <laughs> but yes, it is 24-7. Earlier in the show, I, I was teasing this, and I said both, and I was like, it's like the greatest mystery in sports. So everyone goes on that website, but it's 24-7. We didn't know if it was 247 or 24-7. All yeah, right. yeah, we got to work on branding, I guess, a little bit, but <laughs> yep, that's what it is. Uh, all right, now to the actual stuff. Uh, what happened on Saturday? Um, it was not, uh, I mean, it was just kind of a, a not great effort, especially especially offensively, but what did you see? Like, when you were taking it in, what, what were your just general thoughts on the game? Uh, it's it's kind of those that fourth quarter really clouds everything. To be honest, you know, I don't even really remember what I was thinking uh, the early because I was so my jaw was just hitting the deck over and over and over again for those. Uh, I guess it was seven plays in the fourth quarter, um, where the three and out and then the the four and out or whatever with with where Hayward gets stuff. Um, that's really all I can think about. To be honest, uh, it was just so so bad. I mean. I haven't been watching every game start to finish, uh, you know, the last few years. I've kept a pretty good, you know, um, kept tabs on the program pretty well. So I, I don't feel confident to say, you know, that's the worst or those are the two worst drives of the D'Antonio area, era, but they they got to be in the discussion um, considering the time, you know, all circumstances considered. It was, it was very bad. I saw somebody say on Twitter, I don't know. Might have been Graham Couch. It was somebody that said uh, it was they were easily the worst drive since the end of the 2013 Notre Dame game, where uh, when they put in Maxwell Cold off the bench, yeah, trying to go win the game. Um, I, and I agree with that. Whether it was him or whoever, that 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 was a great point. Uh, it was just terrible. So anyway, yeah, that those two drives. I mean, really, um, just kind of muddied everything up uh, in my mind. I mean, Northwestern wasn't able to throw the ball. Sorry, they were not able to run the ball. Um, we saw that. I think they had like I think I want to say seven actual rushes in the first half. Uh, one that you know I think they had nine on the stat sheet with a kneel down and a sack, but uh, seven like true rushing attempts. Um, so that was one of the things that stuck out to me. I guess getting back to your question is uh, I tweeted this around halftime. Is like 
you know, Mark Antonio has talked a lot about trying to find an identity for this year and how they still mm-hmm. don't have one and they need to find one. And that was one of the things that stuck out to me is like Northwestern, they have an identity. Um, they might not be a great team or whatever. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out this year, but you can't say they don't have an identity. And, and that was on full display. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw that tweet uh, of yours and I was like, he, yeah, you nailed that like right on the head. That was a great point. Like Northwestern, uh, saw the brick wall in front of them and they're like we're not running through this thing we're gonna just run or we're going around it and over it and that's what they did yeah they had 381 total yards for the game 373 of those came through the air uh yeah and a total of 18 true rushing attempts after you take out the sacks and obviously less than a yard per carry uh so offensively for michigan state um it's been it's been a tough go of it so far to say it nicely through five games what do you think has been the biggest issue? Uh, we've seen people blaming Dave Warner and the play calling. Uh, Lewerke may have uh, regressed a little bit. The offensive line hasn't been great. There's been a lot of injuries. What do you think has been the biggest cause of this offensive, you know, this offense being stuck in the mud? Or is it really just a combination of all that stuff adding up? Yeah, I mean, it is a combination. It always is. But uh, the biggest thing to me is the offensive line. Um, and, you know, not to get football coach cliche here, but, you know, it, there's truth. It does start there. Things start there. Like, uh, the play calling's been bad. Lewerke has made some bad decisions. Um, receivers maybe aren't getting open. Uh, tight ends are, are not playing well uh, in really any aspect. So there, there's a lot of things, like you mentioned. Um, but it's the offensive line uh, because I think that has an effect on, on basically all those. Um, yeah, at the beginning of the year, they just weren't playing good. And now you're seeing that mixed in with health issues. So, you know, um, I said this to someone the other day, like, when you start with a bad product, and then you start taking pieces away from that, you know, this is what you're getting. And it's just not pretty at all. Um, that So the offensive line issues have been there from game one, and they have not, they haven't gotten any better. And now they have less bodies to try and make that work. So with, with the offensive line being as bad, um, Obviously, they're not running the ball anywhere, and that really screws up the whole cadence of what MSU has has always wanted to do. Whether you agree with it or not, you know that's what they're going to do, and that's mm-hmm. what they want to do, and it just screws up the whole internal clock of of the uh, of the offense. And then the worky, I think, uh, especially these last few games, you've noticed. I think he's been really antsy in the pocket, and who can blame him behind that line? To be honest, um, when things are clean, you know, and it, you, you got to put some fault on him when things are clean and things are going right. He's made some poor decisions or some poor reads and whatnot, and, and some of those mistakes are solely on him. But, um, yeah, the O-line, they're not blocking for him, so if he's antsy, that's screwing up the passing game. They can't get anything in the running game, so that's screwing up the, the play calling. Um, it's obviously affecting the running back's uh, productivity. And, it, like I said, the, the offensive line just has a, a domino effect on everything. And, uh, and while we're talking about that, just not to put everything on them, but um, – I was going back and watching the CMU and Indiana game uh, a bit last week um, before Northwestern and just charting some, I've been charting offensive line snap counts. And um, I just didn't realize how poorly the, the fullbacks and tight ends have blocked this year. You know, you go back mm-hmm. a lot and look at a lot of these negative runs or, or even the set some sacks or um, just different run plays or different breakdowns. And, and more than I had noticed in real time, can really be attributed to fullbacks or tight ends not blocking very well. Um, so I just want to lump that in there because, I mean, the offensive line has been bad. They deserve a lot of that blame. But, yeah. 
Um, I don't think, you know, the, the fullbacks and tight ends, I think, have gotten a little overlooked in that, that they have not performed well at all um, blocking this year. Yeah, and, that, and that's so unlike the Michigan State teams we've known over the last, you know, eight to ten years. There's always solidity at the fullback spot and tight end spot, especially in terms of blocking. You rarely see, uh, like, the missed blocks that you're mentioning there. And just to, another thing to throw out there for the offensive line, through five games they've started five different combinations of offensive lines, and that's just <laughs> – that's impossible to get it done. Even if you have five stars across the board, like you can't be shuffling people in and out like that. Um, so yeah, it's been a mash unit. Like you said, when you're playing bad and then you start taking pieces away, it gets bad. Um, Coach Antonio is, is very, very loyal to his assistants and staff continuity is such a huge part of this program. Uh, do you think there's any chance there are changes made to assistance at this point? It seems like anything, uh, like uh, public answers have been sort of to the contrary of that idea. Do I, the, so two, I mean, I'll go two ways, I guess. Do I think it will happen? No, I really mm-hmm. don't. Um, you know, you just look at D'Antonio's track record. Um, like you said, he's, he's been very loyal. And uh, since I took this job, you know, I've, I've heard that from recruits uh, about how the staff continuity is actually a factor for them. And, and I really wasn't expecting to hear that. Um, to be honest, I didn't expect that to be something I, that would come up sort of unprompted when, when, when recruits are talking about why they like MSU. Mm-hmm. So you do have to factor that in. I mean, that's, that's, that's where your bread's buttered is, is getting good players. But um, do I think something should happen? Absolutely, but, but it won't. So, yeah, I don't think. Um, because they, they just have – I think you would need, you know, a, a 2016-esque year this year, maybe not even that bad, you know, I think you would need like a five, six win season this year and then like a 2016 type meltdown the next year, to be honest. I think I, I would be, I, I, it's just very hard for me to picture a scenario where things go so bad this year where, where D'Antonio's hands basically forced. Because if you look at the end of the year, he's going to look back and say, right or wrong, he's going to look back and say, you know, we had injuries, um, you know, our mm-hmm. leading tailback didn't, you know, play uh, what, two games through the first, uh, five, um, and then they have such a track record where you, you know he's even going to go back and say, "Look, we won eleven games with Warner. We won this with Warner. We had the 2014 team that set all the records with Warner." So he's got a lot of fire, and not you know not that I would agree with it personally, and I know a lot of fans wouldn't like it, but I can already hear it. You know, I can already see that press conference going down um, in my mind. So I, I don't know what to tell people to make them feel any better. But, um, <laughs> I'm sorry for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry for that, but you know, it's make it's, the people I don't feel better, Stephen. Man, I I would love to, but jeez, I mean, well, I if don't you remember the, if you remember Rauscher, even when he, it was time for him to go, it wasn't even a firing. It was oh, we took a running back's job in the NFL, so that wasn't even in a situation where it it had become kind of obvious that a change was needed almost for the sake of change, but it needed to be shaken up. He didn't even truly fire Dan Rauscher. Um, So yeah, I'm with you. I don't expect any sort of, especially mid season. Uh, Some coaches do that, like just to shake things up and make a point. Uh, I don't see it happening in this scenario. All right. We'll be back with the second half of Steven's interview after a quick break. But first, uh, Locked on NFL is quickly becoming everyone's favorite daily national NFL podcast. 
On Mondays, you get the local experts talking about the biggest stories of the week here in Detroit. That is Matt Derry talking Lions. On Tuesdays, former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels joins Matt Williamson. Wednesday, Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus joins the show. And Thursday, Mike Sando of ESPN. And Friday, you get Matt's picks. Listen to Locked On NFL anywhere you listen to podcasts. And are you guys like me? Are you sick of paying for 20 channels on your cable package that you literally never watch? Like, all you want to do is watch sports, but you have all these different channels you have to pay for. Not anymore. Sling TV is the best way to watch college football. For $30 a month, you get ESPN, Pac-12 Network, SEC Network, and more. You can stream on your big screen, uh, TV, your cell phone, tablet, all your favorite devices. It gives you the live TV you love only better. Sign up for Sling TV and get a 7-day free trial. You can just go to sling.com slash locked on. That's S-L-I-N-G dot com slash locked on. Sign up now, try it out, get a 7-day free trial. If you like it, keep it. It's only $30 a month. There's no useless channels, there's no long-term contracts, no hidden fees, and you can cancel it at any time. Sling TV is the best way to watch college football. I know you said you don't you don't know really what to tell people, but like is there are there reasons for optimism with this team moving forward? Like you know, I'm kind of at this place where I'm thinking seven six or seven wins is, is what's going to happen, but is there optimism to be found for sort of, you know, regathering and ending up with eight, nine wins, maybe 10, if you get to a bowl game and win that? I guess you got, you got to hope everybody gets healthy because I think that's the big thing at this point. Um, you know, the offensive line, we, we know what that is. They're not going to, um, you know, th- there's no, uh, you know, first round picks. They're just going to come in mid season or anything like that. They're, 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 they are who they are right now, and they've those are the guys that they got to roll with. Um, until until all these injuries, I was I would I was still holding out hope, maybe foolishly. I don't <laughs> even know if hope's the right word, you know, from my position. I, I don't really, you know, I don't have any interest, any stock in it, but um, I still believe that this was a good team. And I the there's a Northwestern uh, guy from SB Nation that that had me do a Q and A with him, and um, and I mentioned that and with him was just like until they get beat up like physically by a big 10 team i still believe that there's a good team lurking here um but they they lost northwestern i wouldn't say they got physically beat up but no yeah it was um, that's what made it so frustrating (laughs) yeah yeah but 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 you saw the deficiencies that um that the injuries are you know you saw those those weaknesses show up on the field now so you know can they beat michigan and penn state without cody white with without lj scott without david beetle now maybe without Kevin Jarvis, without um, Daryl Stewart at 100%, without Jalen Aether, heck no. You know, um, if all those guys come back uh, by the Michigan game, I mean, I, I have no – that's pure speculation or hypothetical. I don't know anything uh, to say that. And Josiah Scott, you know, in that mix too, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. You know, if all these guys came back and were 100%, boom, like the like snap of a finger, um, then I still think that team is really, really good. Um to be honest, or at least has the potential to be. I mean, I picked them to win 11 games this year, and I still thought that team was there, you know, pretty much until, I guess, in this week. But but what changed my mind was sort of a slow developing thing too, and if that makes any sense, you know, with LJ going down first, and then uh, not Felton, but then Cody White, and then Daryl Stewart uh, having his issues, and now David Beadle just. Now I'm now I'm really starting to to reevaluate things. Um, 
But anyway, so back to your question, if all those guys are able to come back healthy, like start of November, I mean, I don't know what's going to be out there for you to get at that point because, like I said, if they're not there for Michigan and Penn State, then then, then, then your goals really get uh, realigned. But it, maybe they can come back for November and finish strong there, um, something like that, and, and maybe finish out with eight, something like that, get a get a decent bowl. Um <laughs> that's probably about as optimistic as I can get is get those guys yeah. back and <laughs> no. try to try to look like the team that we all thought you could be something like that um by November ish because October's looking pretty scary here, um, to be honest, with, with who's out and who's on the schedule. Yeah, and that just I'm glad you brought up Josiah Scott because we knew it would be uh it would be there would be an impact just because of how good he was as freshman, but uh, the secondary has really struggled at times. There's been other injuries too, guys getting banged up coming in and out of the game. But his loss has been severely felt for sure. Uh, last question here. So D'Antonio had his uh, press conference or uh, teleconference tonight or Sunday mm-hmm. night. What was sort of the uh, – that's where the, the Beatle news came out. He's out for a month. What was sort of the – I guess the feeling – uh, from him, the vibe from him, like what was he saying uh, in terms of m- turning the page and moving forward? Yeah, uh, that's interesting. I'm glad uh, somebody on the message board asked me what his mood was like. So I'm kind of, I kind of <laughs> had to this question because uh, I kind of had to think about that too. I don't, you can only glean so much from a phone call, you know, first yeah. of all. Um, but uh, I think the words that I ended up using with, with that guy on our message board were uh, subdued, uh, matter of fact, and blunt. Um, I think those were those were probably the best way to describe it. I don't think, you know, it was it, he wasn't defeated by any means, but he wasn't, you know, pissed off and fired up either. You know, somewhere in the middle. Um, I think it was kind of like a focused, determined, determined is probably a good word, type of uh, mood or vibe that he was giving off. Um, he said uh, he talked about going to bed depressed last night, waking up depressed this morning, and uh, I'm scrolling through my notes right now trying to find it. But uh, going to bed depressed, like I said, and, and, and saying basically to his staff, uh, we got to move on. Um, so that was the big, that was the big thing uh, that he touched on there. And, and even more interesting than any of that to me is uh, Joe Bocci after the game. I'm actually going to post something right after we get off uh, recording this. Um, but after the game yesterday, he talked about challenging leadership and uh, leaders on both sides of the ball need to, needing to step up. Um, I'll try and read this quote here. Um, I've actually, and then I, I heard I'm, him with that. Sorry, I say I've, I've got it uh, right here, actually, the Bocce quote. Okay. Yeah, it said, okay. we've got to challenge leaders on both sides of the ball. we got to ask ourselves, do we really want to lead? And if you don't, then step down from this leadership role and follow the others. Yep. Yeah, and that was really interesting. And that was after I had asked him um, to see, you know, not trying to stoke anything. I think I have a decent relationship with Joe. I think he knew where I was coming from, but, uh, you know, just – I think it's a natural question is like, is there, is there friction between these two sides where the defense for the most part is playing really good or at least miles better than the offense. Mm-hmm. And then the offense, you know, through five games that has no identity, like we said, is, is playing very, very badly in certain areas. Um, and so he gave that and said, no, there's no friction, but we just got to sort of, um, you know, see who's really in it, see whose heart's really in it, whatnot. So that was really the main, uh, that was one of the most interesting things to me is, you know, I don't, I don't know who exactly he was talking about or what, you know, what's missing from the leadership because it was, this is a team that Antonio said, you know, over and over and over again throughout August that it had the best chemistry of any group he's been around. 
um, players said that, he said that, and, and we really had no reason to doubt that. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't think we do necessarily right now either, but it's just interesting to say that, you know, that we got for, for, for a guy like Bocce to say that people need to be challenged and, uh, and we'll see what happens there, I guess. So that was, uh, that was really one of the main takeaways after the game for me. Um, and he was, I wouldn't say he was like over the top mad or anything like that. He was pretty matter of fact about it as well. He was just like, look, this is what we have to do. Um, so we'll see what comes of that. I guess I, I don't know if that's answering your question as much, but uh, yeah, that's no, something I wanted to uh, touch on. Yeah, and it's and it's good info. Uh, well, and they've got the a uh, perfect bounce back spot. Um, sometimes you hear uh, if which when you're struggling, you want to get on the road actually and play away because then it's sort of the you against the world mentality and they're playing a great opponent and they always get up for for a great opponent so this is it'll be a really interesting uh week i'm sure in practice and then we'll see what happens saturday but it's if you want to bounce best bounce back spot you got one michigan state so all right steven thank you a ton for joining us you can follow steven uh, and his work at steven m underscore brooks excuse me on twitter Uh, like i said he works for 24 7 as an msu beat reporter uh thanks steven hey thanks so much well it was fun i appreciate it all right thank you a ton for listening everyone a little bit of a long show today but i felt it was warranted given what happened on saturday uh so hope you'll be back with us tomorrow tuesday we'll be back uh we're gonna do a second viewing of the game uh tonight and i'll you know share some insights that i I gleaned from that and then we'll look over michigan state stat profile and then we'll probably start to turn the page a little bit just for the time being and look ahead to to penn state a little bit before we get back into the film room on wednesday and then we're gonna have a meet the opponent podcast on thursday that we'll, we'll have with locked on nittany lines so a lot of good stuff to look forward to this week thank you for joining me uh, and until next time go green